We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Pilato. Tonight, things are going to be a little bit different. This was the ugliest game film of the year, according to Nick Pilato. I tend to agree with him. This was a tough watch. This was not something I'm sure you guys want to hear every play-by-play, every drive-by-drive. We'd rather bury this film and look forward to the new Giants future. And that's where we'll start with the news, breaking down today's big news, decision to fire Jason Garrett, what it means for the offense moving forward, what it means for Daniel Jones moving forward, what it means for all of these offensive pieces moving forward. We're going to start by breaking down the Garrett news. Then we're going to take, we're going to get to some key takeaways from the film on both sides of the ball. So it would be just one podcast this week, Garrett reaction plus the film takeaways with, you know, we'll still do the superlatives. We'll still break down the players that stood out for good and bad on film players we want to you know look at as building blocks or maybe players they'll move on from who knows um it was an ugly film though i mean this thing was really really truly bad it was they weren't even it, it's worse than what the score said at the end that's the craziest part like it was just drive by drive worse than what the film said uh, i'm sorry the score final said so nick let's start with the actual news and actually before we do that i want to wish everybody a happy thanksgiving because we're recording this Two nights before Thanksgiving, we're both, me and Nick, really excited. Nick's going to get to fly home for Thanksgiving to see his family, and his brother just had a child, so that's freaking awesome. I'm so happy for him that he gets to go back to New Jersey. I'm excited for, for Thanksgiving as well. Our whole family's coming in, family that usually didn't come in. My, my family's hosting it. I'm making some food. My brother's making some food. It's going to be a great day. So thank you to all the listeners for sticking with us through another really ugly season. Um, and I, we really do appreciate it. And, and we hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving. So we'll start there. But, Nick, let's start with the Jason Garrett news. I want to hear your thoughts on it. And were you at all surprised by it? No, not at all. We mentioned it last night on the podcast that we recorded that Jason Garrett, after you heard what Joe Judge 
said after the game, he basically, it was the gloves were off. He was kind of, I don't want to say throwing him under the bus because it's a reality that we've all seen for a season plus. Now, Jason Garrett had an unimaginative offense, did not use a lot of pre-snap motion, did not maximize yards after the catch, did not use route combinations to, I guess, an optimal degree. It's the same talking points we've been beating since Jason Garrett was hired. It's why several of my Cowboy fans' friends, and I know you've mentioned this as well, Dan, when the Giants hired Jason Garrett, they were like, oh, geez, that's excellent. And I remember back when the Giants did hire Jason Garrett, we had the positive takeaway that this was a rookie head coach with a veteran offensive coordinator that could assist him. That didn't necessarily materialize either. So this is not a surprise. You can't have an unexplosive offense that's very inconsistent running the football when you bring out 12 and 13 personnel and your identity is supposed to be formulated around rushing the football and hashtag establishing the run. And then you run, you know, 3.1 yards per carry and just absolutely do nothing. 2.6 yards per carry. I mean, what's the point of even having that offense? They just didn't really do anything well on the offensive side of the football for just under two years now. So this had to happen. And it also gives the giants the opportunity to now evaluate Daniel Jones with a different play caller before they have that option to pick up the fifth year coming up next May, which is, which is another like little key part to this, I think as well. They want to see what they can get out of another offensive quarter. If they can get something else out of Daniel Jones, because obviously it wasn't working with Jason Garrett. So, and now I guess it's a, a spark. Hopefully the giants can have, I'm not too optimistic about that. There's really no reason to be optimistic about it, but it's a step in the right direction because to me, there was no reason for Jason Garrett to continue being the offensive coordinator for the New York giants because it was, not working and that was just more than evident to anybody who watched this freaking football team yeah i think it's been a long time coming for us we obviously were of the opinion and we made it clear in the offseason that we thought the giants should have moved on from him last offseason we understood the value of bringing back the same coordinator so jones doesn't have to learn a new system but it was in our minds outweighed by how poor this system was and how bad of a play caller Jason Garrett was. It's a combo of a lot of things. It's the route combinations, and it's also just his overall mindset. It's that let's get 10 yards in three plays. Let's stay ahead of the sticks, and it's a very tough mindset to have in today's NFL because today's NFL is not set up for that. That's The best teams don't have that mindset, and so I think that while the Giants will and, – and just to answer my own question, I guess, Nick, I'll say this – I'm not surprised it happened today based on kind of what we heard from judge last night and his change of tune. I am a little surprised it happened after the bye week rather than during the bye week. I would have thought that, and judge made mention of like, he thought things were getting back together. That's uh, you know, things were going well and starting to go well, I guess in those last two games and the giants won two of their, their three before this. And they, they, you know, they could have won that chiefs game, but it's not really fair to say things were getting better on the offensive side of the football. These past three games, I mean, those three games before this were really poor efforts from the offense. I mean, they didn't move the ball at all against the Chiefs, save for a, a chuck up 50 yarder and, you know, a, and, and a screen that was run. And that might have been, I might be mixing up games. That might have been actually the Panthers game. I can't remember now. It's all blending together. But there was no passing game against the Chiefs. There was literally no passing game against the Raiders and barely a passing game against Carolina. And they actually started to move the pocket a little against Carolina to generate a passing game. And that's been just foiled these last few games. Like you see Garrett moving the pocket and then you hear Peyton Manning like, why is he doing this? They're cutting off half the field and they're making this so easy. And it's like, it's okay if you do it for one game against Carolina, but four weeks later, you can't be trying that same old trick and thinking it's going to work because quite clearly it did not work. Obviously we all saw last night against the banged up buck secondary. So I'll say this, Nick, 
I'm not I'm a little surprised at the timing of it, but I am really excited about this because at least at this point, and of course, the Giants aren't going to be able to change systems in season. Freddie Kitchens is going to, or whoever calls plays, and we'll get to that because Joe Judge did not name a play caller. Although Adam Schefter reported he thinks it's going to be Kitchens. I know Mike Garofolo made mention uh, that he thinks it might be Kitchens or what would what it would be if it was Kitchens, but we don't know that yet. But whoever calls these plays is going to have to run Garrett's system. So we'll really get a good feel, Nick, for how it, it, it means nothing to us now. But one thing I think is funny, Nick, we're going to get a good feel for Judge. Just how bad Jason Garrett is at calling his own system, because if the Giants can start to generate points within his system, which is somebody else calling different plays from his system, that's a pretty good sign that Jason Garrett was not a good play caller. Is that correct? It is. They're, they're going to make a lot of adjustments throughout this. It's going to be a hectic week for the New York Giants this Thanksgiving week trying to assemble the game plan to go up against the Philadelphia Eagles. They're probably going to install several plays this week. Just something that is a little bit different, something that they feel like they can gain an edge on the Philadelphia Eagles defense and something that's going to be a little bit different from what Jason Garrett his mindset usually is. And uh, I wanted to circle back to something you said a little bit earlier, though. And I'm guessing one reason maybe Joe Judge wanted to wait till after the bye week was because they were winning those games, but also because the health of Kenny Galladay and the health of Kadarius Tony. Kadarius Tony played in those games, but I, I was under the, the impression, I'm not a doctor, but I was under the impression that he may have been playing through injury. Now you're getting Saquon Barkley back. You have a healthy Kadarius Tony. You have a healthy Kenny Galladay. Let's see what Jason Garrett can do. Give him that one last shot. And then against this Tampa Bay game, that was a uh, <laughs> a horrendous watch. So like you have two targets to Kenny Galladay, same exact type of concept. And you're hardly using the $72 million man. Kadarius Tony had a bunch of garbage time catches and he was used sparingly. And it didn't seem like there was that many, uh, well, the Giants didn't really even possess the ball enough to, for them to really kind of showcase him. It didn't seem like, and then they couldn't establish the run with Saquon Barkley. So it had to be cut ties. But do you think that was a reason why they may have waited till after the bye week just to see what Jason Garrett could do with all these weapons coming back healthy? Yeah, I think that's a good point, Nick. I think it's partially that. It's partially that they had won two of the last three and they wanted to keep things together. They felt like, you know, they could make a run if they had beaten Tampa Bay, which obviously now we know, looking back, it was kind of fool's gold to even think they had a chance to beat Tampa Bay. They weren't, you know, like I said earlier, for being objective about this thing, they the score was a lot closer than what the actual game was. And, and even there, I mean, the Giants lost by, what, 20 points? And yet the score was much closer than what it should have been. And so they weren't on that same level field, but I feel like they might have felt like they might have been on that level field. But I'll be interested to hear your thoughts, Nick, on what Freddie Kitchens can bring to the Giants if he's their offensive quarter coordinator. Uh, I'm sorry, play caller, I should just call it at this point. His if He's calling the plays moving forward right now because, you know, he had that first season in Cleveland that won him that head coaching job, and he was lights out with Baker Mayfield. He created a system for Baker Mayfield who was transitioning from that system that I like to call kind of very quarterback friendly over there at Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley doesn't always translate. You would think, but actually has translated pretty well. If you look back at it with Kyler Murray and Jalen hurts, but to be fair, those are uh, Kyler Murray, especially is a really good talent, but he built that really good system out that rookie season for Baker. Obviously it didn't work out as a head coach. A lot of people felt like that was more on him. It was more of kind of the Shermer effect. Less so, he's not calling great plays. The system's not great. More so, he's just not the right guy for coach, uh, to be a head coach. What are your thoughts on what he'll bring to this Giants offense over these final games as the play caller? So I haven't had a, a ton of time or even – I haven't even been able to find the film to go back to 2018 to, to watch Freddie Kitchens in 2019 calling the plays for the Cleveland Browns. But I do remember 
last year with the New York Giants when he was the offensive coordinator for the Joe Judge. And it was Colt McCoy as a quarterback, so you have to keep that in mind. But it was a much more aggressive game plan. I do remember, and we brought this up several times in the podcast as well, there were a lot of double moves, a lot more double moves, a lot more, hey, I'm going to show you this, I'm going to show you this, and now I'm going to run a double move off of it. And that's something that we've griped about with Jason Garrett in the past as well. It's not like he was inept at doing it, but we felt like there were opportunities where he could have done it the way the defense was playing the obvious call that he showed earlier in the game, and then he just wouldn't. It was something we would complain about. So I'm hoping we see a little bit more you know, pump fake action, a little bit more double moves and a little bit more trying to bait the defense to thinking they're going to get a Daniel Jones turnover. And then you really, really make them pay gassing those routes as we say it here. Will you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I think what I want to add to that is that's, that's a great call. I mean, but what we saw in his one game against the Browns last year was that. And one other thing we saw, at least in my mind, what I thought I saw, and I know you confirmed this on the podcast. You also felt this way, Nick um, was they did a great job. I thought kitchen did a great job of running on obvious pass downs from obvious pass personnel groupings and and passing from obvious rundowns and obvious run groupings. That's something I think Garrett struggled with throughout his tenure with the giants. And I thought kitchens did a great job of that. To me, that's a really big thing for a coordinator. That's a feel thing. That's purely in the moment, in the game, you have a few seconds to pick a play. You have to figure, you you know, you have to figure out what you're going to do. And, you know, you come up with something that fools the defense based on, you know, what you show and, and the down and distance and all of those things. So I think we're going to start to see a lot of those like, wow, that was a good play call type of things where we're, we're looking back and we actually, you know, and you know how every week we do our superlatives, Nick, where we're like play call of the week. And we usually have like one to two to pick from. I feel like it's been with Garrett, maybe like one to three in a good game. I feel like we might start to have like a handful of these. Like that was a good call by kitchens. That was a good call by kitchens. That was a good call by kitchens. And so I'm actually looking forward to th- those type of moments that we're going to potentially have moving forward. Absolutely. And just to go back to his time with the Browns in 2018, remind you, this was a really bad Cleveland Browns team. They just drafted Baker Mayfield first overall. This team averaged 22 points per game, 22.4 points per game. And in 2018, they had about 340 yards of offense, which ranked 22nd right ahead of the New York Giants, who ranked 23rd that season under Pat Shermer. So just kind of a if you want to just look at the numbers of what they did in 2018 and then to go back to 2019 in terms of yards per game, the Cleveland Brown ranked 22nd with 340 yards. So pretty comparable to what they did in the previous year. And then as for points per game, it was 20 points per game. So a little bit less, which ranked 22nd in the league as well. And they struggled that year, but I think, you know, a lot of things went wrong. It was just kind of one of those seasons. It was a bad struggle. There was a uh, Freddie kitchen got ran out of basically the town. He wasn't the yeah. head coach. I remember he wore some, uh, it was some shirt. It was something like, um, what shirt did he wear before a game? And I remember he took a lot of crap from the media for it. It was, uh, I think it was something about the, maybe about the Mason Rudolph situation. My, uh, my, uh, my, I, I vaguely, vaguely remember that he wore like in a picture with his daughter that ended up getting posted on social media. And it was like, it was towards the end of the season. And like, it was like, okay, this guy isn't head coach material, but we're not asking him to be, we're asking him to be our offensive coordinator. Yeah, no doubt. Exactly. The, the, his failings as a head coach are, are, are fortunately, at least for us, meaningless uh, right now. Cause it's all about what he can do as a play caller. And I'll ask you this because I saw this floating around. I think this was actually Ryan Dunleavy, who made this comment today, uh, beat writer for, I believe, NJ.com at this point. Um, he mentioned those of you who think the Giants offense is going to rebound are fools because this offensive line is so bad. I mean, it's not really going to make much of a difference who's calling the plays. 
I take a little, you know, exception with that. I would say that that's not exactly the case. And, you know, time will tell. I mean, this is such a good, <laughs> this will be such a good uh, test, I guess, for us to see, like, how much of this was on Garrett, how much was on the line, how much was on Jones. Because we're going to get that feel. We're going to answer at least one of those questions, how much of it was on Garrett with Kitchens to play. Well, I know he's somewhat hamstring by calling Garrett's offense, but Garrett's offense, you know, uh, you know, as you'll hear from, like, I've heard uh, Eli say this. I've heard plenty of quarterbacks say this. A lot of systems aren't all that different. They have different names for plays and they have different names for concepts. But I think Garrett's playbook has a lot of different concepts that aren't breaking back toward the quarterback or, you know, running mesh in the same spots of the field. Like we saw last night with three receivers running into each other in the middle of the field. Like we're not, uh, we're, you know, I don't think it's going to be a situation like that. So I am a little excited to see what he says, but what do you say to people who say it won't get much better because the line is just too bad? Well, it depends on what your measuring stick is. Are you expecting this team to go to the playoffs? Because I feel like that is a bit too far, but can they at least move the football and, and find ways to put Daniel Jones into better situations and optimize the routes being run by players like Kadarius, Tony and Kenny Galladay and Saquon Barkley even. Yeah. I think that can get better. And I think that can improve. And I think that's something to look forward to. It's something I'm looking forward to personally, but it just depends on your measuring stick. I don't think the giants are going to automatically become a contender to possibly even secure that seventh seed. I mean, in order to do that, they're going to have to defeat the Philadelphia Eagles probably twice and go on a large winning streak. And I don't think this offensive line is nearly good enough. And as we saw against Tampa Bay, it was, it was horrendous, man. I mean, how many times was Will Hernandez and, and Nate Solder just getting bowled over by that really good front, but still like it, it's, it's hard to watch. It really is that offensive line right now. And I think that would always be the Achilles heel. So it really just depends on your measuring stick. Yeah. And that Hernandez soldier side of the line is yeah, just devastatingly bad right now. And those were two major investments by Gettleman in the 2018 season you know, off season. I mean, which will obviously go down as one of the worst in the history of, of, of football, basically. I mean, if you look at that entire off season, but they shouldn't be starting now. They are starting now. That's going to hamstring kitchens. I agree with that from that standpoint, but I do think that there are certain things that we can look forward to with certainty. And one of those things would be that we're not going to have games like last night where you have Colin Johnson trickling onto the field and all these different ridiculous amounts of 13 and 12 personnel to try to catch them off guard and get some kind of favorable run look where maybe the Giants can squeak out eight yards, but half the time the line doesn't even win at the point of attack and it's like a two yard gain. And like the ceiling is like some eight yard gain that doesn't do anything for you as far as points go and touchdowns go. And this and the and there's still a floor of like two yards. We're not going to see as much of that. I think we're not going to see, you know, Tony being only on the field for 60 something percent of the snaps what he was on the field for last night and Galladay being cycled in and out. I think kitchens will do a much better job. And I have a lot of confidence in keeping those guys on the field for every snap. And those guys need to be on the field for every snap. I think kitchens will do a much better job of using 11 personnel. And you know me, Nick, I'm a big, big believer in 11 personnel. I saw something last night for, I think it was from Josh Norris. Who's a great, um, used to be the NFL draft writer for uh, Roto world. I don't know what he's doing now, but he's a great, he's a great analyst. And he was talking about how one of the teams, has found so much success recently running out of 11 personnel. Yeah, it's easier to run out of 11 personnel. It's spread out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's 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 not rocket science here. And so I do feel like Nick and you can correct me if I'm wrong, we're going to get a lot more uh favorable personnel groupings as far as who's on the field and as far as 11 personnel versus all these kind of mix and matches of the 12 and 13s uh, that kind of you know condense the offense in some ways. 
I think you have to get your best players out there, right? So your best players right now are Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Tony. If Sterling Shepard's back, you want to get Sterling Shepard out there, and you can put another receiver out there. I'm not overly opposed to 12 personnel in in certain aspects, and I know with sure. this offensive line, especially with Nate Solder, you might want a tight end out there to chip and release, which I felt like Garrett did a solid job throughout the season implementing that. But it can't be as frequent as it's been, man. I mean, how many times in this game were there 13 personnel, were there 12 personnel? And it just seems like you always know what's going to happen. Like Devin White knew what was going to happen on that fourth and one. He diagnosed it so damn quickly and got right into Jones's lap. And Jones actually made a nice move to cut back inside to avoid the tackle and actually get rid of the football. But Myrick just kind of ended up getting tackled because he was still engaged in the block as he tried releasing because it was a roll, move the pocket type of play, which again, like you said earlier, is not the best type of play call in that situation. But I felt like the one of the biggest gripes with Jason Garrett has been what, Dan? It's, it's been his predictability, right? So now that he's not there, in theory, that predictability shouldn't be there either. So I'm hoping that's something that the Giants can show and prove to us, the fan base, on Sunday against the Eagles, that they can keep this Eagles team on their toes, that defense on their toes. That defense has been very, very opportunistic. Darius Slay's having a really good season, and hopefully the Giants can figure out a way to spark this this team in general because they need it if they want to be even relevant and if Joe Judge wants to keep his job at the end of the season. Yeah, you're 100% right. Um, it'll be really interesting to see as it plays out. I'm curious to see a few things, but... Definitely curious of that. All right. Anything else that stood out to you about this Jason Garrett decision or about uh, what we can expect moving forward from this offense? It's about 11 months too late, but nah. nah. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I can't say you're wrong about that. But yeah, Nick, we'll, we'll obviously you know move on from that and have to figure it out. But What's going on, everyone? Football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Giants tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K, P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as you go to find NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge. Aren't those terrible? Which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's a pretty good deal. If you just want to go check out the giant you know, pregame, hopefully they win a football game, then please head on over to TickPick.com today to save $10 on your first order of Giants tickets. That's TickPick.com. Check it out, everyone. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's move on to the game, I guess. Let's let's start there. What stood out to you about this game? So the Giants just flat out got outplayed in this game on both sides of the football. There's there's no um, if ands, or buts about that in the trenches on both sides, I would say. I mean, I, I'm excited to see your superlatives once we get into this game because it, it wasn't pretty for me whatsoever. And on the offensive side of the football, Daniel Jones missed some easy throws. I felt like if you want, we can go over that first and 10. If you want to break down some, some plays throughout the, throughout the game to kind of go over here. It didn't seem like the Giants could do anything offensively or get anything going, establish any rhythm against a defense that struggled to stop Taylor Heineke last week, who had a 19 play drive to end that game. I mean, he just kept moving the sticks, moving the sticks, moving the sticks. And when quarterbacks like Taylor Heineke, who is, you know, a solid NFL quarterback, but some, we, we like to think that Daniel Jones is a solid NFL quarterback as well. And it's not like Washington has a plethora of skilled position players that are better than the New York giants. Cause they do not when he's able to do that. And then the very next week, the giants literally can't do anything offensively it raises a lot of questions and obviously those questions were answered and they were addressed and Jason Garrett is no longer with the team, but it was incredibly disappointing to see. And I think it was just beyond Jason Garrett as well. And as a lot of people have pointed out, and it's just very, very noticeable, the offensive line is a huge issue. And then we have this third year quarterback who, you know, he hesitates just a little bit, man. He hesitates a little bit, doesn't pull the trigger, isn't throwing with as much anticipation as we like. And that's another issue that I felt like a couple times in this game, Reader's Ugly Head. Yeah, I can't really argue with any of that. I want to say this about Jones. I feel like at this point, um, he's regressing a little bit for sure. Obviously, part of that is the offensive line in some ways, but he's just really, some people describe it as robotic. I can kind of understand why they say that. It's it's very, it's very, as far as Jones goes, it's very much a situation where, He's slow in a lot of his reads. He's slow with it. He doesn't throw always with anticipation. He doesn't throw that often with anticipation. There's multiple plays in this game where he's locking into reads and he's missing open reads. There's multiple plays in this game where he's slow to make a to make a throw. And because of that, or I'm sorry, he's late to make a throw. And because of that, it the throw's not completed. The second intercept, the first interception he made was obviously just a really poor decision. Um, the second interception he made. 
he's late. I, I talked, I spoke to someone off pod who I've learned a lot of football from, and he's like, this is a perfect example of kind of the, he, I think he described it. I forgot how he described it. Let me see exactly how he described this one. Cause I love what he said. And I, I never heard this term before. I'm curious if you've heard this term before. And I'm talking about the second interception and he goes, uh, the defense, he's so late in his, he's way, way so late in its timing that the rest of the defense melts to his eyes. And that's kind of what Peyton Manning said as well. I mean, Manning went on to say like, in on that play, the linebacker completely reads his eyes the entire way, and he's so late. And as he's moving off his spot, which you know is partially because of his pocket issues, that you know, as this person I spoke to said, they're similar to what he saw at Duke. Like there, it's still the same issue three years later. But because he's so late, and the linebacker's just reading his eyes, he doesn't even see the linebacker. He doesn't even sense that the linebacker could be in that zone as he tries to make that throw to Slayton. That's the type of stuff you just can't have happening. And I feel like we've been saying this now for multiple weeks in a row with Daniel Jones and for the majority of the games this season. And it's starting to concern me, Nick. I'll be honest with you. It is. It is. You want to see this progression from this quarterback in the third year in the NFL. And you're right on that throw. He's a little bit late there. He is. And I don't even think that one is as egregious. I mean, it ended up being an interception. Devin White flies in coverage on this play too, man. He really covers a lot of ground. And honestly, man, how many passes get tipped by the New York or by defenders against the New York Giants? It happens all the time. We bring it up all the time. If you watch the end zone version of that, JPP literally is about a centimeter away from knocking this ball down. And this is just a very nice play by Devin White underneath, but he, it's not sensed. It, it's not sensed at all. And this is these are mistakes that Daniel Jones makes, man. And you can go back to that first and ten on the on the first drive by the New York Giants, dude. He's reading that flat defender on that play, and you can see. Evan Ingram breaking into space. There's a big window there, man. I put it up on Twitter. He's not looking at Kenny Galladay. So Kenny Galladay's open, and I feel like based on the coverage, you know it's middle of the field closed. You know that middle of the field closed defender is going to have depth, and Kenny Galladay can kind of get behind the linebackers and in between the safety. There's going to be a throwing window there. But that's not where his eyes are because his eyes are reading that flat defender. But that flat defender turns his back. And, and kind of goes to the flat and, and focuses on Kadarius Tony, who's the outside receiver. And that allows Evan Ingram to just bend right around it, right? That throwing window is wide open there, man. You could throw it with anticipation right as Evan Ingram is entering that bend and hit him in stride, and it would be a nice gain. But he doesn't. He just waits, and he clutches it. And then he ends up just overthrowing Kadarius Tony afterwards. you got to be decisive there. You have to, You have to see the leverage of the cornerback and then react in a prompt manner. And if you don't, you end up throwing an incompletion and instead you end up settling for three points. You see, it's not just a Jason Garrett issue down in the red area, man. It's also a Daniel Jones issue, man. It's both of those things. Well, now it's not, but it was. (laughs) Exactly. Yep. And I think that's fair. I think a lot of people have kind of looked at this thing, um, a bit more so like it's only Garrett's fault, right? It's only offensive lines fault. Jones is completely absolved of the blame, but as you watch the film, you just see too many examples of a slow processing quarterback and, you know, at, on that second interception, like you're right, like Jay, there is pressure. But at the same time, if you're going to bail from that to your right, as he always tends to do, once you do that, you're telling the defense that the throw can really only go to one or two spots here. And that gives that linebacker who he doesn't have any sense or feel for. And that just seems to be a common thing with Jones, like as far as versus a lot of other quarterbacks in the NFL, not having a sense or feel for that second level defenders that are just reading his eyes and He gets right in that lane, gets his hand on it, tips it up, and it's intercepted. And, you know, that just should never happen there from Jones. He just can't make that throw that late. He has to know that that's a bad decision. You know, he has to just, at this point, be well aware that that's a bad decision. And for all the 
the work that Garrett has done to try to coach turnovers out of Jones, he's still committing a whole lot of turnovers and turnover worthy plays. And that to me is one thing, Nick, but the bigger thing to me is just how late he is on a, like the, the throw to Tony that we went over. Let, let's go over that play. Um, I put it up on Twitter. I think today, for those of you who want to want to look at that, Tony doesn't do a good job. It's, it's on Tony too. Like this is not a great play by Tony. He should be catching the ball, turning his shoulder, securing the ball by moving his body away from the defender. So he can't get it knocked out. But what happens is, and you pointed this out, Nick, and you pointed it out and, and he Jones burps the baby here for no real reason. Like I know that, it's not a fully clean release from Tony, but you know what the route is. You know what the play is. The play is Tony's breaking to the sideline. That's simple as that. Like he may not, it may not be a perfectly clean release, but that's not important. Like if you're making that throw, you can throw that a lot earlier, especially if you're going to throw with that kind of zip. And he did not get good velocity on this throw. I felt like all night Jones's velocity was off for whatever reason uh, in this game. And, you know, it has obviously hasn't been great throughout the year um, for Jones, but you know, it's just it's it to me. It's the anticipatory throwing's not there the way I want it to be. He's so late. He's just so late so often nowadays. Um, and I don't know, man. It's it's a struggle right now with Jones. I feel like I'm hoping that that Freddie Kitchens can break him out of this. But this was 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 this his worst game of the year in your mind? I mean, obviously the protection wasn't good, but was this his worst single game of the year? Yeah, that's difficult. I'm not 100% certain if it's the worst game in the year just because of the Rams game was pretty bad as well. Sure. Um, you know, some of those interceptions were pretty egregious. He hasn't played well really in the last couple of weeks, like you said. But this might have been, man. This might have been. There was a lot of, I felt like, there was points left on the field. There were plays left on the field from Daniel Jones. We saw that quite a bit last year, earlier in the season in Jason Garrett's system. But we we excused it saying, okay, this is, a you know, he's new in the system. You know, maybe he'll come along. You know, he's processing still. He's still a second-year quarterback. And now we're still seeing it. And it's, ugh, it's starting to get to that point, man, where you're like, all right, well, how long are we going to keep making these excuses and, and keep uh, saying, well, you're not pulling the trigger when you have to. You're not reading this as cleanly as you can. And you're not seeing and trusting your eyes as well as we hope a third-year quarterback should be doing. And, and all those things are true, man, because he's not, dude. And again, we're not, at least I'm not writing off Daniel Jones right now, but I still believe he is who he is. And you have to make a decision as to if, if you want to go forward with this. Can he clean this processing up? As Mark Schofield has said, yeah, you can develop that. But it's three years now, in, and we're still seeing some some mistakes that are that make you kind of bite your lip a little bit and say, man, come on, dude, you have to see that. You have to throw the football in that situation, dude. Windows don't last very long in the NFL, man. They just don't. And they don't. Yeah, they simply don't last very long. And especially if you don't have next level arm talent velocity, which Jones doesn't have, like he has all the arm talent needed to be an NFL quarterback. He definitely has that, but he can't cut the ball through tight windows. Like like some of these really super level talented guys, like the Rogers, the Herberts of the world who have that next level velo. And if you don't have that, you really got to be more decisive. You really have to be processing this stuff fast, man. And you have to throw the anticipation. You have to throw to, to where he's, you have to throw him open. You can't just throw once he's open when you don't have that kind of velo and you really shouldn't be doing it anyway. Like you, like those guys get away with it sometimes, but when they, when they are late like that, it's not good on them either. Those like high velocity level, high, high arm talent quarterbacks. You watch that, that third and five play, right? It's three thirty-five left in the second quarter, by the way, I, 
Kadarius Tony does kind of hop skip in his release a little bit, but once Daniel Jones hits that back foot, he goes in and he burps the baby and he waits, dude. He waits for Kadarius Tony to turn his shoulders and flash his head. That's not what you do there, man. You get rid of the football. You throw with anticipation there. Like Kadarius Tony is looking at Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is still rearing back to throw the football, man. That's just late. That's just late right there. And this is from the far hash. And Daniel Jones has some arm strength here. I don't like has some arm strength in the NFL, right? I don't believe he can get fully into this ball. It seems like he doesn't drive through it because Nate Solder's kind of back into his pocket. And he also has Matt Skura getting beat on a stunt with Shaq Barrett. But you're right, man. The velocity still isn't there. It just kind of hangs there. So yeah, this is definitely, this is on Kadarius Tony and Daniel Jones and also the offensive line as well. But I, I would agree, man, that ball needs to come out a lot earlier. It needs to come out earlier, and I thought, honestly, the velo on the throw to Galladay late in the game on the outs. The outs, the, the velo on the on the on the far hash throws and on the outs, uh, you know, in the you know outside the numbers has been lacking lately, to say the least, or at least in this game. But as far as Jones goes, like I'm with you, man. I'm not ruling him out yet at all. Like we're just objectively analyzing what we're seeing and right now it's not great we hope that with a new play caller it'll get better a lot better we hope that with an offensive line next offseason if they can find a way to build a line in one offseason which is not impossible but going to be hard to do but it's doable we've seen the browns turn their offensive line around fast um and so we'll see what happens there but he can be better but as far as some of these traits go man these are like these are traits you need to be to be a next level quarterback. And so he's we're, we're hoping he can develop them fast. Obviously, we'll see what happens from that standpoint. Absolutely. And there was another tight window throw as well in the fourth quarter, I believe, I think with 744 left the MP three by two and the boundary side is a two receiver. Saquon Barkley just runs a little hitch into a defender and Kenny Galladay runs a slant. And you could see as Kenny Galladay breaks into the slant, Jamel Dean is about five yards off of him. And then the next closest defender, and Kenny Galladay is breaking his slant on the numbers towards the outside part of the numbers. The next closest defender is Levante David, who is on the, that hash closest to him. So that window is there, dude. This is the NFL. There's a wide open window there. There's no safety anywhere close. Antoine Winfield's like 15 yards away. It's all good, but he just doesn't throw the football there. And instead he kind of gets off and he just throws an incomplete pass to Evan Ingram on the ground. It's just like when you, when you see the coverage pre-snap and you see how the flat defender is expanding towards the flat and Jamel Dean has that kind of off coverage, you know, there's going to be a window there. And we've seen Daniel Jones make these right. throws before in the past, man. It's not like he's incapable of doing this. He's made these throws plenty of times in the past, but he just doesn't pull the trigger on this one. And it's just a, another play where I feel like there's some, some, some yards left on the field. Yeah, he's just not simply, he's simply just not recognizing the concepts as well as we'd hope he would at this point post-snap. Um, I also feel like, honestly, and you could tell me if you're if I'm wrong on this, Nick, especially in this game and, and really in recent weeks, he's been bailing a lot more from pockets uh, earlier than he should. There was a, a couple good examples of Tom Brady with pressure last night where he stepped into the pocket and readjusted the pocket and then found some space. Jones seemed to bail, it seems to be bailing to his right a lot now. Um, rolling right. And once you roll right, you cut off half the field. You signify to those underneath defenders that they could, there's only a couple routes you can throw the ball to. That's, you know, an example of, you know, rolling to the right was where his second interception was thrown. Um, I feel like that was something he was doing a much better job of in the beginning of the season. And it's kind of falling off. Now that one, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on Nick, because this offensive line is just so bad. He's probably starting to feel pressure now. Um, yeah. And, you know, and sometimes it's not there. But in general, I want to see him do a better job of manipulating the pocket. 
I do think that's that's difficult for him. And that's a lot to ask because sure. Billy Price and Will Hernandez are, are just not good at football right now. And <laughs> Matt Skura, I think Matt Skura played solidly in this game, but that's just relative to everybody else on that offensive right. line, not named right. Andrew Thomas. So he's definitely a replacement level player. He doesn't have a lot of a lot of help like he really doesn't and that's another thing we kind of have to weigh into this and on that first interception did you check out that first interception what the uh, play call was this is a play called uh, jason garrett has run before in the past uh similar kind of concept 12 personnel tight end on each side of the line of scrimmage and then two receivers to one side and they ran a halfback wheel so daniel jones rolled to his right and then hit his back foot and he was running a halfback wheel route it's just Matt Skura kicks into space and he just can't handle the blitzing of Devin White, who just had one heck of a game here. And if that would have been an interesting play if Daniel Jones was able to reset his feet and fire that football to Saquon Barkley if he put it over his shoulder and towards the sideline because deep third safety or deep third cornerback was cleared out by Evan Ingram's deep post route. So that would have been interesting, but of course, protection does not. Hold up. Yeah, there were a few examples of the wheel open. There was a wheel that was open to Kadarius Tony earlier in the game that Jones just didn't see. Um, and Tony was kind of putting his hand up. Now that was tough too because of the pressure. Jones is rolling to his right, but that's the type of throw I've seen. Uh, you know, it, it's make it's it's a doable throw for some quarterbacks. So it felt like that was kind of just how the Bucks were playing them. They were playing very aggressive as expected with Todd Bowles. Um, you know, that's he had the book out for Jones last year. He was he was pressuring Jones a lot last year and he was sending pressure a lot this year. Um, we've talked a lot about Jones on this podcast. Let's talk a little bit about the offensive line, which obviously struggled a bunch in the run game. And we'll get to that in our grades. Any individual thoughts on the offensive line? I thought what you said a little earlier kind of recapped it well. Horrific games from Solder, Hernandez, and Price, specifically Hernandez, man. He was really, really bad in this game. Just this was kind of a clincher for me with Will Hernandez moving forward. Like even at a reasonable price, I would just prefer not to re-sign him this offseason. I think they can do better somehow, some way, hopefully. Um, But also, I just don't think he's a good person to allocate cap space to. Not that they have any cap space anyway to allocate to basically anyone. They're so doing so poorly with the cap. I think actually Will... uh, Will Allisberg, who's on Twitter as I think 20 C I don't know what his Twitter name is now, but he was talking about how the giants this season are so strapped against the cap that they're actually not placing players on IR to add to, to call up different players to the roster. Like if players who need to be on IR, like they're going to be out for three weeks, they're not placing them on IR because they don't want to add another salary to the roster. Cause they're so strapped from a cap standpoint uh, because of what they did in this off season. So that's just like a small note. It doesn't make much of a difference, but it kind of gives you a feeling of like where they're going to be at this off season from a free agent standpoint but i thought the only player who looked remotely good was andrew thomas in this game and i thought like you said skira held his own skira relative to the rest of them i'm just not sure how much of that is me just evaluating him versus 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 the rest of his offensive line yeah if, if i had to let's play a little game let's have a little fun here dan if you had to rank the the offensive lineman's play in this game from best to worst who would it be i would go Thomas Best Skira, um, eesh, uh, <laughs> I think I'd probably go Price, Solder, and then Hernandez for me. Yeah, I'm the same. Only I think I would flip Hernandez and Solder just because there were some good Hernandez blocks. 
Uh, but then it's, I mean, dude, I, I just feel like we're saying the same crap every week with this guy. It's yeah. You know, he has a couple of good blocks here and there. He holds his own. And then he absolutely craps his pants. It's like, what the <laughs> heck? He crap this pants a lot. Like, he had some doo-doo pants going on right now. Will Hernandez. Cause he's had several plays where it's like, oh my gosh, that was horrendous. And then you watch Nate Solder though, too, man. It's like Nate Solder got, got pancaked by a guy's back on a premature spin move. It's like, what is it? This guy just cannot be out there, dude. Like there's no way that Nate Solder is, is a better option than Matt Parrott at this point, man. Like it, I'm, I mean, I guess it is, man. I'm not, you know, the coaching staff, as much as this team is abysmal right now, and we want to throw them under the bus, like the coaching staff must know something about Matt Parrott. It's not like Matt Parrott has necessarily inspired much every time he's been on the field. He's had a couple of egregious mistakes as well. But at this point, man, just play the kid. Holy crap. Yeah, I mean, I can't disagree with any of that. But I'll say this as far as the Parrott situation goes. I'm hoping that that might have been part. Like, do you think how much of that do you think is the offensive line coaches? The How much do you think of that uh, was kind of on uh I guess I'll ask you this. How much of that is Garrett? How much of that is the offensive line coach? How much is that judge for the decision to play Solder over Pear? It's definitely collective, but I would say it starts with Rob Sale. I mean, you'd have to ask the positional coach, like, hey, who are you most comfortable with? And then that, I would say the next person with the most sway there would have to be the offensive coordinator, especially if it's someone like Joe Judge who seems to be a coach that – um, delegates to towards his uh, coordinators and doesn't meddle as much, even though in his uh, rookie season as coach, he, he did a little bit with the offensive line, much to the chagrin of Mark Colombo famously. So I would say it is collective, but I, I think it would be Rob Sale, no? I think it's on sale as well. I, I'm curious, like, what you what do you think the reason at this point is for playing uh, paired? I'm sorry, Solder over Parrot at this point. I'm not 100% certain, man. I, I'm really not. I, I'm going to stick to the same stuff that I've been saying and I don't agree with, but I've been saying for weeks now. It might just be because he is the veteran and because he may, they, they, they trust his ability in like to pick up the blitzes and the stunts and like the mental aspect, the mental side of it. Cause it's not the physical side, man. He's not exactly great. Like he's not abysmal as a run blocker, but he's not good as a run blocker either. We've seen some good Matt Parrott run blocks before. And in terms of pass protection, Nate Solder is just getting steamrolled. And it doesn't, and and I'm sick of just making, like, I don't feel like we make excuses for Nate Solder. We're we're pretty hard on Nate Solder on the podcast, but it's like, oh yeah, well he had to go up against Von Miller and oh yeah, he had to go up against this player. And it's like, well, yeah, every team has a good edge. You know, every team has a player like that. Most teams do, you know? So like he's not a starting tackle in the NFL. Like there's no way around that. And at this point where the New York giants are, I feel like you have to put Matt pair out there or at least give him more snaps. I mean, this offensive line used to platoon and it was a little bit unconventional and some people didn't love it, but why not try that out again to, to see exactly what Matt pair can do instead of just kind of using him in a, as a jumbo tight end. Yeah, exactly. I just don't really understand at this point the logic behind it. I, I I just there's so there's so there's there's something going on there. I think with pair behind the scenes, maybe maybe it's like last year when we weren't sure why Lemieux was playing over Hernandez. It's practice habits. That could that be it? Do you think? It could be. It could be. And we we do know about Nate Solder is that he's a consummate professional and he carries himself very well. And he's a great teammate and he's a leader. Remember when he came over and Eric Flowers was still on the roster, he was helping Eric Flowers out. I mean, he's he's somebody you want in your locker room. But at this point, man, like how many 
bad reps do we have to see until you start really questioning it? But again, just to you know, play devil's advocate here because we'd like to do that on this podcast. It's not like Matt Pear has shown a lot of greatness when he has had the opportunity either. So it's something that that coaching staff knows that we don't, and they obviously know more than we do. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's get into some superlatives for the offense, unless you want to talk about anything else specifically. We did the line, we did Jones, we've obviously talked Garrett. Anything else specific before we do superlatives? No, not necessarily. It was a terrible, terrible showing from the from the offense. <laughs> yeah, it really was a bad showing from the offense. All right, let's get into some superlatives then. Is there an unheralded player on the offense? No. If I had to pick one, it, I guess it would be Matt Skura, but like that's I, I really don't think he played well either. And he had a lot of bad reps as well. I just think on film, it didn't seem like he was as egregious as the other three linemen that we went over. Yeah, I would give I'm trying to think who I would give this to. Uh, I wanted to say one of the receivers, but they really didn't have they had some bad moments too. Uh, I'll give it I don't know. I I don't have one. I I don't have one for this game, man. I'll be honest with you. I guess Skira would be the closest thing, but this game didn't really have an unheralded offensive player for me on film. Um, so let's just get to the best route run. Do you have one from this game? It's Kenny Galladay's only catch. And it's mainly because of the release of the line of scrimmage and how he ended up winning inside, presenting his body to Daniel Jones, a good target. So it was the Kenny Galladay catch, his only one. Um, all right. For me, best route, I, I don't really have much there. Um, I guess that was an okay route. I think – I'm trying to think if there were any vertical releases I liked. There really wasn't. Um, I don't think there was anything too much missed there. So I'm just going to defer and say I got nothing there, Nick. It's just one of those games, man. There's really not much great to go for. How about the best throw here from the game? Yeah, that would be the third down throw to Kadarius Tony to set up a fourth and two play. I think that was a strong throw from Daniel Jones. He kind of zipped it in. There was velocity. It seemed like he had a clean pocket so we could really step into the throw. I don't have the exact timestamp here, but I, it's one that ended up setting up the fourth and two play. I'm going to go with the deep dig uh, to Slayton, the one that obviously Slayton fumbled. But it was a nice throw from Jones. He threw it over uh, over the second level um, and and connected on that. So that's a that's a solid throw from Jones. He's done a good job throughout his career throwing that deep dig route. So definitely something I hope Kitchens leans on. How about the best play call from this game? Is there is there one? Uh, before, before that, actually, I actually yeah. ended up pulling up the play if anybody wants to see it. It's a third and 10 in the third quarter. 222 left Giants down 27 to 10 Daniel Jones. This was a, just a, a three by one set. Kadarius Tony was the number two receiver. He ran a guess you guessed it quick curl and then did a good job kind of flowing laterally outside. Daniel Jones has a clean pocket. He steps into the throw and he kind of fires a dart there. I actually think it's a pretty damn good and strong throw from Daniel Jones. But as for the play call, <laughs> I, I guess I'm going to go with the Andrew Thomas touchdown just because the big man got a touchdown and this was just a pathetic game on the offensive side of the football. So let's roll in that direction. Yeah, that's fair. How about, um, I think, I mean, I don't have anything else that would, I would say best play call. I, I like the Tony bomb. I thought that could work at some point. It obviously wasn't there, but I like mm -hmm. the idea. Um, did you think that was PI because a lot of, that's a, no, I did not. I thought it was a good no call. Yeah, I was fine with the no call. I, I watched it slowly and you can kind of see there's a lot of hand fighting, right? There's a lot of hand fighting. Darius Slayton yeah. was guilty of it. I think when the ball was in the air, Sean Murphy Bunting kind of grabs Darius Slayton's hand. And I think it maybe was DPI to a, to a certain extent. 
once I slowed it down, when I first watched it, I was like, no, their feet just got tangled. But if you, if you look at Darius Slayton's inside shoulder and how it kind of gets turned, I think that's because Sean Murphy bunting is grabbing that hand and you can kind of see it if you slow it down a little bit, but either way, like I, I don't find it as a, a, a huge uh, difference making uh, play in the game because the Giants were so hapless throughout the rest of the game. Could it have made a difference? Yes, but it's not like the Giants offense did anything else, even if that was flag DPI. But I am getting sick, Dan. The flag keep getting picked up on the New York Giants. Man. I feel like it happens a lot, dude. Yeah, it does feel like we're getting a lot of flags picked up on us for sure. But I think this one was probably an example of one where it, it, it was the right decision. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. So um, player overall, bro. Yeah, this was an interesting one. Like, there's only the only one who would come to mind would be like either Kadarius Tony or Andrew Thomas. But Tony did have that one play that we we kind of both discussed as like not a, not a great play by him. Um, the one where he should have secured the catch, should have turned his shoulder. So I think for me, the call would be uh, Andrew Thomas. Yeah, same here, definitely. And then, uh, what about your worst player? I'm guessing we probably have the same one. Uh, so this is interesting as far as worst player goes. I, I, I think I'll go Will Hernandez for this, even though I think Jones, there's a case for Jones, but I think the the answer is Will Hernandez. Yeah. See, this is weird. So it depends on how you look at it. Right. Because right. I think if you want to say worst player, Nate Solder would come up, but Nate Solder could be the worst player every single game. Whereas Will Hernandez <laughs> is inconsistent, but I feel like Will Hernandez deviated from the play that he usually shows, which isn't good, but it's not this bad, which makes me want to go with Will Hernandez, even though I feel like Nate Solder was probably even worse, if that makes any sense. That makes sense. And I think the only case for Jones would just be like how important quarterback is. He made two, yeah. two really, really bad turnovers and obviously, you know, missed some throw, missed a lot of, missed a touchdown to Galladay, missed, you know, was late on some other throws, didn't really do anything of note from a good standpoint. Um, so he he's in the mix as well for being objective about it. How about the pass blocking grade one through 10? I had a 1.7, man. And I put this <laughs> up on Twitter. The Buccaneers had 35 pressures on Daniel Jones. And again, pressures, individual pressures can, uh, there can be multiple ones on a play. So like, that's the reason why it's so high, but the next highest one they had in a season was like 24. So it was just an egregious, egregious game by the offensive line. Yeah, I think 1.7 might be the lowest we've had. I'm going to go point zero point nine. That's how bad I thought this bad It was just, it was play after play. Um, and, you know, that in some ways does exonerate Jones because the pass protection was a big reason for, you know, any quarterback struggling. But this one was really bad. I mean, it was the game plan too. Obviously, Todd Bowles knows how he wants to attack Daniel Jones. You know, and he's done a great job attacking Jones now in two straight games. He's if you look at Jones's stats against Todd Bowles these past two seasons, man, oh man, are they bad? They're like next level bad. And, and so, boy, does it set up nice precedent for other uh, defensive coordinators, man. They'll be like, oh, well, let's just blitz this guy. As we kind of yep. discussed on this podcast the last several weeks, a lot of defensive coordinators are doing that against Daniel Jones. He has to and make I've been pay. worried about that since last season, and I haven't had those concerns have not really been quelled at this point, at least. They have not. No, they have not. What's your run blocking grade? 
So I'm going to go just a 2.5, a flat, a flat 2.5 on the run blocking. You know, there were some plays that were actually blocked up decently, but overall they just lose so often at the point of attack that I just can't give them too high of a grade. How about you? Yeah, so I have a 3.4, but I'm going to ding that down to probably like a 3.1, maybe even dip into the twos because you're right. There were plays where I felt like it was blocked up, I would say, adequately. And I think there were like two plays where Saquon Barkley, I don't even know if he was touched and he ended up falling down. I think it was like yep. two of his first three runs. And I'm like, all right, Barkley, come on, man. Like, I know there's a lot of people around your feet, but I don't even think you step on anything. You just like fell. And I'm like, whatever. I mean, that, that's neither here nor there, but it's it's not a good blocking uh, offensive line up front in terms of their ability to move bodies off the line of scrimmage. They don't do it well. And on duo blocking schemes, you need to form those double teams and vertically displace the defensive linemen and allow your running back to hit the hole. And I don't feel like they do that great of a job. So collectively the rushing attack is just not good. So yeah, not it's go with like a 2.9, 2.7. Oh, some ugly grades from us this, uh, this week. All right, let's turn the page on the offense and talk a little bit about the defense. Obviously, same thing goes. We don't really need to go drive by drive for this type of game where it's just this type of bad performance. I thought the first drive, um, similar to what we saw kind of against the Chiefs, the Bucks just took what the Giants gave them, and that kind of resulted in a pretty easy touchdown, uh, pretty easy first drive. I did like what I think it was Peyton Manning said. Like The Giants like to come out and show like a, a ton of just too high at the beginning to kind of like get a feel for the game plan. And, you know, once again, I will say this overall about the defense. They're taking a lot of crap today from a lot of people in my timeline. Regardless, once again, the defense did a great job in the red zone in this game, constantly put in bad positions due to the offense constant. And that has to be factored in when you're evaluating this defense, how poor of a job the offensive does with the turnovers to in this game, uh, put them, you know, put the defense in a horrible spot with the constant punts and the constant three, you know, push drives that shut down. You got to give the ball back. And yet, you know, this is the goal of the defense bend, but don't break. And for the most part, they did a good job of that in this game in my mind, like all things considered going against Tom Brady against that offensive line. But two things that stood out to me, one defense did an okay job in the red zone too, man. This was a bad, bad game for those Giants edge guys. And we've been talking up Quinte Roche and Ojolari in these recent weeks. But, man, was it a bad game for both those guys. Ojolari was completely negated. Roche, obviously, you know, didn't play all that many snaps. I think he finished – or no, he ended up playing 50 snaps. So he ended up playing a lot of snaps. Didn't do much. Had one total hurry. Zero quarterback hits. Zero sacks, obviously, there. Aziz Ojolari, just two quarterback hurries. Zero hits. One total sack two total hits in the entire game and 10 total hurries for the giants. Um, bad game. I thought for Dexter Lawrence, bad game. I thought for Leonard Williams, not overall, they were okay in the run, but you know, when these guys are putting, when Leonard Williams puts together a game with zero quarterback hits and one total quarterback hurry and Dexter Lawrence has one hit, one hurry. You just can't get by with that guy with that type of stuff. When you've made the investments you've made in them, you use the 17th overall pick on, Lawrence well he has to make an impact in a game like this in the passing game and obviously Leonard Williams contract goes without saying he's being paid Aaron Donald money so I don't know that was my kind of my key takeaway the the Bucks just completely negated the Giants pass rush yeah they completely negated the Giants pass rush they also just did whatever they wanted the Giants would align in too high it's like okay well we're just going to run outside and do a bunch of disguised runs I mean look on the first drive man the Giants came out in a cover four type of look. They ran fake counter end around to Mike Evans. And if you watch the defense, it's 
13.09 in the first quarter, man. Everyone bites on the fake counter and the pullers. Everyone is heading in that direction. And then Tom Brady just hands it off to Mike Evans, who has four blockers against three New York Giants. And it only ends up picking up 10 yards, but it just seemed like the Giants were always a step behind what Tom Brady and this offense were, were trying to do and what Byron Leftwich was calling. I felt like it was a really excellent opening script, definitely taking advantage of the Giants playing off. I felt like the Giants played off a lot. And then the Giants kind of switched to cover three, middle of the field closed to try to make an adjustment. And Tom Brady was like, okay, well, now we're going to attack up the field. We're going to attack the seams. We're going to attack the middle of the field and and also try to win our one-on-one matchups outside, which they did a solid job on a lot of like comebacks and curls to Mike Evans down the stretch of the game. So it didn't really matter what the Giants defense was trying to do. It just felt like the Buccaneers were all over it and they adjusted in a prompt, quick manner. Didn't feel like the Giants linebackers were really in position all that often. They were caught looking and chasing a little bit too much, got themselves out of position to allow for bigger runs. There was no contain on the outside for a lot of the runs that Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette had. And that's not just the edge players. It's also whoever the force defenders are. We saw on the touchdown run, the entire defense, the linebackers couldn't scrape over the top. Adore Jackson got sucked too far inside. It's just not a great look for the defense, but you are right, man. The goal line defense did kind of step up. And yes, you had the Mike Evans touchdown. She just boxed out James Bradbury. You had the Chris Godwin touchdown, which was on a quick little screen pass, something they did a couple times on that first drive. They were just taking advantage of the numbers that the Giants were give, uh, showing them. So we say it a lot, man, you know, take what the defense has given you. That's what good football teams do. Just take what the defense is giving you. Giants would allow for the Buccaneers to have numbers and they would quickly just throw the pass there and it was blocked up. Well, Julian love takes a bad angle and ends up being a touchdown for Chris Godwin. Yep. Yep. There's, I mean, you broke that down really well, Nick. I can't, I don't have too much to add to that. Like, again, I don't want to give the giants too, defense too much credit. They did okay in the red zone, but like you said, that the bucks were able to kind of just do what they wanted. A lot of the reason is giants weren't able to generate any pressure rushing three and four guys. And, and, you know, even sometimes when they brought extra, so it just seems like it was one of those games for the Giants, unfortunately, on the defensive side of the ball. What else stood out to you about the defense? Um, I guess from a if there are there any plays you want to go over any from any drives. So I'm looking at this play, the third and seven. Since we were talking, you know, I don't want to be fully negative on the podcast, right? Uh, so it was a third and seven play on the, I believe, the seven yard line. So you're talking about a third and goal for the for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Giants end up dropping eight and it's all zone on this play and everything gets covered up really well here. I, what I thought was interesting was the Giants initially only rushed two players. So I say dropping eight because uh, I think it's uh, Trent Harris ends up chips in Giovanni Bernard. But if you look at the coverage, man, it's pretty blanketed there and it ends up being just an overthrow to Tyler Johnson. And I felt like it's just another little wrinkle that Patrick Graham had in this game. He's like, okay, we would drop an eight, you know, against the chiefs against the Las Vegas Raiders. So in this game, we're actually going to drop nine and have him chip Giovanni Bernard because no one's going to be able to gain access to Giovanni Bernard. He's going to go out to the flat. And if he doesn't chip him here, he's going to be wide open. And Tom Brady's eyes go right there. He sees Trent Harris there. So he just doesn't end up throwing the football. But then once he chips him, he ends up coming. So then it turns into a drop eight. And actually Trent Harris, he gets a hurry on this play, forces the overthrow. So I thought that was an interesting wrinkle from Patrick Graham. Yeah, definitely an interesting wrinkle. And definitely one that worked out well for the Giants there in that situation. Anything else that stood out to you? I didn't really have too many plays that, that that kind of jumped out to me in this game from the defensive side of the ball. 
I felt like uh, Patrick Graham was trying to adjust. I mentioned the too high initially, and it just didn't work. They were having success running the football. And then uh, they tried to switch to a little bit more cover one, cover three, middle of the field close type looks. And then I felt like as the game waned on and it wasn't going all that well for the Giants, they started bringing the blitz, man. And on that sixth drive, I believe it was, they blitzed Tom Brady a couple different times. And I was like, okay, they were sending some A-gap blitz. I think I saw an A-gap twist you saw the Giants getting a little bit of pressure but Tom Brady quickly adjusted and was able to get the football out of his hand in a in a timely manner because I mean blitzing Tom Brady blitzing Patrick Mahomes blitzing any of those quarterbacks who have the mental clock they uh really make you pay so on that drop they ended up uh, I don't know if they blitzed on the on the James Bradbury allowing the Mike Evans touchdown but that was that drive that I was talking about I just thought it was kind of cool to see them trying different things and just seeing what they can get away with. But in this game, dude, we saw similar types of coverages that we've seen too, man, starting too high and then quickly rotating down to cover one and trying to rob the number two receiver coming over the scene. And probably not going to fool Tom Brady too much. It's something that they show a lot on film. And it's something that Logan Ryan did very well. And I felt like the Giants missed Logan Ryan on defense as well. They, uh, Julian Love, he, he had a up and down type of game. He made a couple really nice plays, but then he also made a couple bad plays. And without Logan Ryan there to be that that force in the in the middle of the field, I felt like the Giants missed that from a communication standpoint, from a spacing standpoint, from a ability to rob standpoint. But I still don't think it would have made a huge difference his presence. I think that's fair for sure. And I think you know, like you said, you're playing quarterbacks like Tom Brady. You simply just have the situation. You have a situation where, like you said, you if you blitz these guys, they're so good at processing that they can get around to the correct reads with ease. And so that's something that you saw a lot in this game from Brady. And that's just something that you can expect anytime you're going to face a quarterback like this. And like you said, Graham tried some things, but ultimately, you know, it, it, they didn't get there. And, and there was no way to really get there with just four pass rushers in a game like this, at least against this offensive line with the current guys the Giants have up front. So they, he was definitely hamstring. Like a lot of people were like, oh, like, why are you, you know, defend? Why do you guys defend Patrick Graham? You and Nick continue to defend Patrick Graham. Well, it's like he's doing the best job he can in these types of situations. I didn't feel like there was. Did you think there was anything he could have done a better job of in this game? Like as a coordinator, I, I didn't really feel I feel like just based on the situation, he was a bit hum, hamstrung by by the by the matchup. By the matchup, I mean, you, when you can't get pressure up front, it puts a lot of stress on your yeah. secondary. And when you're going up against a quarterback like Tom Brady and receivers like Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, if you don't apply pressure, as Giant fans know from two Super Bowls, if you don't apply pressure, they're going to pick you apart. It doesn't matter if it's man or zone coverage. They're going to find the weak link and pick you apart. And that's exactly what ended up happening throughout this entire game. So it, it's a tough spot for Patrick Grant. It is. And the Giants need... I think a couple more difference makers up front to be able to apply pressure on Tom Brady. And they don't have that right now. Now, can Aziz Ojolari turn into that? Yes, probably. Possibly, I should say. Maybe not probably, but possibly. And I think he's a good football player, but he's still a young kid out here. Leonard Williams, I think he's a very good football player, but he wasn't defeating, you know, the backup of Ali Marpet, who I felt like looked really good when he came in the game. Ryan Jensen, who Ryan Jensen, dude, I put up on Twitter, he snatched and trapped Danny Shelton three times, twice consecutively. 
That's impressive, man. Snatch and trap is when you use an opponent's momentum against them. So they go and they engage you and they have their arm initiating contact on your chest as an offensive lineman. And you break the wrist of that. And then you use his momentum, which is moving forward to fall forward. And then you fall on top of him. It's a play that Brandon Thorne always shares every time he finds those types of plays on Twitter. And Ryan Jensen did that three times against Danny Shelton, who did not look good on film. Yeah, Shelton, another bad game, obviously. Um, in this one, but yeah. So anything else on the defense before we get into some superlatives for the defense? Yes. One more thing. Now it's second and 10 second quarter, one fifteen left incomplete pass deep right to Brashad Perriman. But what was concerning to me is James Bradbury, bro. He kind of gets beat on this play, man. And he's in off coverage. He's not up on the line of scrimmage. He's not jamming. He is off the line of scrimmage by about 10 yards little bit of an inside leverage, but facing the sideline pre-snap. And then he squares up its man coverage, cover one. The safety drops down from the two high spot to cover Cameron Bray. So it's James Bradbury, mano we mano against Brashad Perriman, a fast receiver, no doubt. But he allows Brashad Perriman to just speed around him, dude. This could have easily been a touchdown if Brashad Perriman you know, didn't eat popcorn before every game because that guy's been dropping football since his days at UCF. But <laughs> That's a little concerning, man, because we've seen James Bradbury struggle with speed. We've, we've mentioned it several times. We saw C.D. Lamb burn him. And what a throw by Tom Brady, by the way. He puts this in a perfect spot. Yeah, that's probably a sick throw. But I don't know, man. Like Things like that are uh, are concerning to see because you don't see this happening to a Dory Jackson, right? You don't see a Dory Jackson getting burnt. James Bradbury isn't the athlete of a Dory Jackson. There's no doubt about it. But even though Bashad Perriman is fast, you still don't want your true number one cornerback to be getting burned by him in a situation like this. Luckily, it was dropped. It was a bad game for Bradbury overall, I thought. Um, it's not been a good season for Bradbury. He hasn't really lived up to the hype from that he built himself for last season. Obviously, the Giants restructured his contract and poured a lot more cap space into these future years. So he's on the roster for a heavy hit moving forward. He's going to have to bounce back if they want to try to build a winning roster uh, here with the with, you know moving forward. But I, at this point, I feel more comfortable with the Dory Jackson than, than I do with Bradbury in, in, in coverage. I really think that... That's the case right now. Dory Jackson's playing better football than Bradbury this year. Would you would you agree or disagree with that? I don't think it's a, a wild take. And I, I think he's been more consistent. I, I think that could be something. Yes. I think James Bradbury comes up with some plays where you're like, oh my God, man, this guy's instincts and this guy's yes. ability to read route concepts are just insane. He's a he's an amazing zone quarterback. I think Adore Jackson has a maybe a higher potential. I, I wouldn't say Adore Jackson's better than him right now, but you're right. I think James Bradbury has probably been exposed on the on the season as a whole more than Adore Jackson. Yeah, and I guess that it all should be factored in, like the splash plays, everything like that. That that obviously Bradbury is providing them. Okay, let's get into some perlatives right now. Do you have an unheralded player? Because I have one, and it's kind of a surprise. It's not somebody I ever expected to be saying here. Oh, okay. So I'm interested. So there are, I have two written down. So one we brought up so many times. So I'm going to say the one that, uh, now I think I'm going to steal yours. So I'm going to go with the other one and then we'll see. We'll, we'll discuss. Austin <laughs> Johnson. I felt like Austin Johnson had a, a couple really nice uh, stack and sheds and everything in the run game. And he got after, closed the A gap really well, shed Ryan Jensen a couple times. And I felt like it was impressive. But I say the, un I put him as unheralded and not best because, there were also plays where I saw him get put on the deck and I'm like, Oh my God. So I'm going to go with Austin Johnson. Now I'm interested to see what you say, because if you don't say the player that I have in my mind, then I'm definitely going to bring this player up because he would be mine over Austin Johnson. Let's do this experiment. 
Okay. Well, I definitely want to give Austin Johnson his props too. So I'll give you that. That was a good call. He's been a nice, nice find for the Giants. Just another yeah. example of, you know, where you can find IDLs. You don't need to be using your massive assets to get these guys unless they're great pass rushers. And that's kind of the only, only way you should be investing in IDLs in my mind, uh, investing big bucks in IDLs. Um, but my guy is J.R. Reed, who I never thought I'd be saying. Number 27 out there. I barely even, me and my dad, I was watching with my dad and my brother because my brother's home for Thanksgiving. Uh, shout out Maddie Schneier, Ronnie Schneier. And my dad was like, who the hell is this 27? Who is this Reed guy? And, you know, he's flashing out there on the broadcast, obviously to that point, to the point where, you know, my dad and brother might notice him. But then when you watch the film, he had 20 really good snaps for the Giants. And, like, maybe they found something out of nowhere with this J.R. Reed. Is that the guy you were thinking of? Was yes, he played twenty snaps, and the one hit that he laid on, I uh, might have been Chris Godwin. It was like wow, yeah, it was Godwin. Yeah, it was a freaking shot, dude. It was very, <laughs> very physical, and he also had a play where I, it might have been like a little dump off pass, a Leonard Fournette, but it was JRE coming down from the safety position, and he just literally broke down, squared up, and just made a nice wrap up tackle. So it would definitely be JRE for me as well over Austin Johnson. But I was right then, we're thinking the same way. Look at us right here, and this is uh, for those of you who who don't know who he is. He's not a journeyman, and this is a young guy. He's twenty five years old. He was a undrafted guy in twenty twenty. He was on Jacksonville, and then he bounced around. I think he ended up on the Rams, and then the Giants just signed him recently. He's six foot one, one hundred ninety four pounds. Is a safety. I think he can play a little bit of nickel as well. I remember I watched a lot of Georgia college film and around that time, and I remember seeing his name out there. I mean, there's tons of studs on that Georgia defense, but he was one that I was like, oh, okay, I, that, this player, he's somebody to definitely make note of. I believe he was a, a leader on that defense as well. So hopefully, hopefully it's somebody that can uh, can definitely earn more snaps if he can continue to play this way. And I'm wondering if the Giants see him in that light once Logan Ryan comes back. And we, boy, do we love pulling from that Georgia defense. Those Georgia defenses uh, seems to be something the Giants have done a good job of. Uh, well, pretty good job of. Some haven't been hits. How about the best individual play? I, I'm, I, I'm looking at your notes now. We have the same exact play. I feel like there might have been other plays that can be in contention, but let, let's go with this one because it's definitely the best play of the game. Yeah, I think it's Julian Love coming downhill and yeah. knocking the ball out of Gronk's uh, hands. That was a really good play. Gronk was open, man. Julian Love had to cover some ground there. And then Gronk had the catch, and you were able to punch the football out of Rob Gronkowski's hands. That, that's impressive. And like I said, Julian Love, he uh, I don't think he played well. You know, I, I definitely saw some mistakes on uh, him being out of position. There was obviously the the – he was trying to box Chris Godwin inside. It looked like, but he went way too far. Didn't even give himself the opportunity to make the tackle on the screen touchdown. But yeah, I, that was a really good play though. The one where he knocked the ball out of Gronk's hands. Oh yeah. I have the same one. How about the best player on film? I feel like we're going to have the same one here too. Yeah. It's a Dory Jackson, man. The Dory Jackson was, he was really solid in coverage, man. It seemed like he was blanketing a lot. I think he, he gave up a reception or two, if I'm not mistaken, but there, there were times where you just see his technique along the sideline, squeezing the receiver off the red line, using the sideline basically as an extra teammate, always in position and uh, just kind of being a really good addition to this defense, in my opinion. Yeah, without a doubt, he's definitely the best player on film. Adoree Jackson was targeted seven times, only allowed three receptions for 34 yards. So just an excellent game from, from Adoree all around here in this one. And I think he's just been their most consistent player in a lot of these game films for the Giants on the defensive side of the ball. And it's, you know, it's great to see, I think. And obviously he's somebody who we are excited about moving forward. And we're happy. I feel like I'm happy they made the decision to to, to sign Adoree. Yeah. Yeah. And I, again, man, this, what is he, 25 years old? Like he's, he's young, dude. So that's, uh, 
that's somebody who could only get better. Hopefully. <laughs> Bad. Who, who was who? Who struggled on film? Someone who you thought was just not not what you were hoping to see. Danny Shelton. I mean, I saw him get tossed to the ground three times by Ryan Jensen. He only played eighteen. Yeah, eighteen snaps in this game. I'm going with Tate Crowder in this one. Um, you know, it's. I feel like we've been talking about Crowder a lot. I even see him in your notes. Uh, some negatives on Crowder. It's it's been a rough year for Crowder in my mind in this role. Um, he's missing tackles. He's he's bad in space in my mind in coverage. Uh, he's a player who I think needs to be relegated to reserve role in the 2022 season, no matter how they do it. I don't care how they find it, what they have to give up to get there. I feel like he's a player who they need to move forward with as not a starter. How would you feel about that? I would love that. I mean, I'm all about upgrading all the positions where players aren't playing to a desired level, which is definitely what Tay Crowder has been doing all season. I don't think he's terrible. I definitely think he deserves to be on an NFL roster, but I don't think he's a starting linebacker on an in an ideal situation or at least a starting primary linebacker. I think you can get away with having him play next to Blake Martinez, but even when that was happening, we were saying, okay, well, hopefully we can upgrade over someone like Tay Crowder if he doesn't progress. It doesn't seem like he necessarily progressed all that well. And he was out of position a lot in this game as well, because the Buccaneers ran a ton of power gap, a lot of counter off of that. So you got linebackers flowing in the wrong direction and it just doesn't seem like he's fully grasping everything. This is a second year player, Mr. Irrelevant, you know, so, you know, you take that into context, but if you want this defense to, to be maximized under Patrick Graham, it's probably best if you find somebody a little bit better than Tate Crowder and the Giants are going to have, you know, draft assets next season. So we'll see what ends up happening there. Yeah, for sure. No doubt about that as well. All right. I'm going to say next thing we're going to go over here is give us, give me a grade on the pass rush one through 10. 2.3. It wasn't good at all. So <laughs> it probably could be lower to be honest. Yeah. I'm going to go in a 1.4. I thought Lawrence was terrible in the pass, a pass rusher. I thought Williams was really bad as a pass rusher. Nothing from Ojolari, nothing from Roche, nothing from the rest of those edges. So I, it's got to be 1.4 for me. It's just, it's really not, it was a, it was a bad game from them. How about the run defense though? I have a 3.1 and it probably could be lower to be honest, but uh, you know what? Actually no, because there, there were, like I said, Austin Johnson made several solid plays. I felt like I remember seeing Quincy Roche on the edge. There was one where right. he kind of split a double team and, and kind of found his way into the backfield and made a tackle for a loss of one yard. And then uh, Danny Shelton had, I remember one stop that was pretty nice where he kind of like took, I think it was Leonard Fournette, like by the upper body and threw him on the ground. But other than that, I didn't feel like Danny Shelton had all that great of a game, but he's a big body who eats up space, which is uh, important if you're going to run a lot of tight front, which the Giants did again in this game. But yeah, I'll say 3.1. I'll go to five. I feel like that while there were some decent plays and the Bucks obviously didn't put up a massive total, I felt like whenever they wanted to do anything in the run game, they were able to do what they wanted to do. Um, and Ronald Jones really got them in the second half. So it just didn't feel like a game where the Giants had a good, good, uh, you know, they weren't winning often at the line of scrimmage in my mind. It wasn't a great game for this defense overall, I guess, with the exception of, you know, good in the red zone. Um, all right. Anything else on the defensive side of the ball you want to go over before we sign out? No, I think we're good, man. Time to sign this one out and hopefully move on to better days against the Philadelphia Eagles after Thanksgiving. Better days and Thanksgiving coming up. So everybody, enjoy the holiday. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. We hope you have a great time with your family, with your friends, and eat some great food. I can't wait for it, man. I, even Nick, of all people, even Nick, are, are you planning to indulge on Thanksgiving, my friend? 
Yeah, it's one of my times a year, bro. That's one of, <laughs> one of the days I indulge. So yes, I will be will be doing so. Oh, I'm, I, I wish I could see that with my own two eyes because I, I don't know <laughs> if I've ever <laughs> if I've ever seen it myself. So it will be good to see for sure. But to everybody, all listeners of the Big Blue Banter, we thank you so much for your continued support, and we hope you have a really thank uh, good Thanksgiving and holiday coming up. We'll be here to talk about the Giants as always moving forward. We have a great offseason stuff planned, and we're gonna we're gonna be excited to talk about the Freddie Kitchens offense and you know where Daniel Jones can go from here. So otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.